If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Kings chapter number 19. 1 Kings chapter number 19, we are studying the life of Elijah, and uh, we'll continue to do that this morning. And uh, this morning, last week, we looked at the wavering, really, between the people of Israel and Elijah. And uh, no, I'm sorry, that was the week before. Last week, we looked at the water and uh, the rain that came down and how uh, God had sent the rain. What a tremendous victory that was wrought on Mount Carmel that day uh, when, when Elijah prayed and uh, God sent that rain. What a huge blessing in all of Israel. And I want to note this morning, as we look at 1 Kings chapter number 19, uh, the, the great real trial, really, and the warrant that was sent out uh, for Elijah. And uh, really, we have to understand and we have to realize that many times on the heels of a great victory, on the heels of something wonderful that takes place in our Christian life, maybe you were praying for somebody and that person got saved. Maybe it's a great victory that God did something in your life that you've been praying about. And boy, a great victory is wrought. But afterwards, boy, there comes a great trial. And, and many times, and we find that true in Elijah's life here in uh, 1 Kings chapter number 19. And we need to be understanding that, uh, why is that? Why do those things take place? Because we are fighting a spiritual battle. It is not a physical battle. Uh, it is a spiritual battle. And I'm reminded of the verse in Ephesians 6.12 that says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And if you think about the life of, Eli of Elijah, Ahab was not Elijah's enemy. Let that sink in for a moment. Oh, Ahab was wicked. Yes, he was wicked. He was not doing right. But he was not the enemy of Elijah. The prophets of Baal, they were wicked, but they are not the enemies of Elijah. We're, we're told in Scripture that we, we fight and wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities and things that are so much higher than us. And so when you gain a victory, uh, listen, uh, that, that, whatever that victory was, those were not the foes. The foes are still active and they are still out there and they will still continue to fight against you. And so we need to understand that and recognize that this morning. And as we look at 1 Kings chapter number 19 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there." 
Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to be in your house on a Sunday morning. God, thank you for the songs that we've heard. And uh, God, I pray that you would just use me. God, I pray that you'd speak through me. And God, I pray that we'd be encouraged and strengthened this morning uh, by your word. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. God, we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at these verses, we find that uh, Elijah uh, was, was instantly uh, placed on the most wanted list. This is not a new position for Elijah. We know that he was there before uh, when they sent through all the land looking for Elijah and God had concealed uh, Elijah. Uh, but this time's a little different. And I want you to notice the persecution of Elijah. The persecution of Elijah. Evil is very, very aggressive. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And, and we need to be aware of that. Matter of fact, uh, I remember from years ago, uh, one of my gun training classes that I was going through, and, and in the gun training class, uh, they showed a video, and, and they showed a guy that uh, was a good guy, a citizen with a gun, and another bad guy, and the bad guy took the good guy's gun and shot him with it. It was a very real video. It was a very surreal video. And why did they show that to me? Because you have to understand that there are people out there that are willing to, to go all the way and, and, and be very aggressive. And listen, if there's anything that we need to understand and realize is that evil is very aggressive. And we need to understand that sometimes because we as Christians, we have this lax mentality and we tend to be, well, you know, it's okay and it'll be all right and, and the Lord will take care of it and the Lord will take care of it. But we do need to understand there is a great opposition that is very aggressive against Christianity and against Christians. And we have to understand that. Here we find that Jezebel was very aggressive against Elijah. Matter of fact, look at what she says there in verse number 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And, uh, and, and she just lays it out. She says, boy, listen, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm taking your life, Elijah. You are going to die. And, uh, and so she was very aggressive. Uh, but look at the instigator uh, in this persecution. Look at verse number one. This kind of amazes me, really, when you look at it. The Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Now it amazes me how Ahab could have been at the very same place that Elijah was and how he has a whole different perspective altogether about the events of that day. One of the things I like to do, I, of course, with my children, I have six children, and when they were younger, I, I enjoyed, we'd go somewhere. And one of the things that I enjoy, we'd be in the car and, and driving home, and I, I would start to go through my children, and I'd uh, call them by name, Rachel, what was your favorite thing today? 
And I'd ask Rebecca, Rebecca, what was your favorite thing of the day? And I would ask all, and I'd run down through the list of all my kids and, and find out what was their favorite thing or what was their least favorite thing or what was, if we went to the zoo, what was their favorite animal? And, and all of them had a different perspective based on what they were interested in or they liked. And the perspective that we get here from Ahab is not a good perspective. Matter of fact, go back to verse number one. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Hold it. Stop right there. What had Elijah just done? Elijah had, had prayed and called fire down from heaven. And God sent that and devoured the sacrifice and scooped up all of the water that was around that sacrifice and then uh, God had, had said, ordained Elijah to go through and kill all of the prophets of Baal, purging the wickedness out of Israel. But that's not the story that Ahab had. The story that Ahab had was this, all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Boy, he had a whole different perspective. His important takeaway from that day was not the reality of God sending fire and of God blessing Israel. And, and take note, I want you to realize this, this probably this conversation took place while rain was falling on their roof. Think about that. It had not rained in three and a half years. They were in a serious drought. And here's the blessings of God that had come down from, from heaven because Elijah had prayed and Elijah had set the record straight in Israel and changed everything. And now God is blessing. And here's Ahab. He had been at that very place. And here he goes home and he's complaining to his wife. He said, boy, you know what that man of God did. Man, you would not believe. He killed every one of those prophets of Baal. You believe the nerve of him. I mean, you could see his frustration in his story that he counts. And he's instigating uh, Jezebel to be against it. And we see Ahab's hardness. It amazes me that you can watch somebody uh, or you can watch a powerful, powerful message of God. Or you can be in a meeting where God really moves. And I've been in some of those meetings, and boy, you feel the presence of God. And, and boy, you walk away and say, man, I want to go back to that. That was good. I mean, that was just a blessing. And other people walk away. Man, can you believe this and this and this happened? And you're thinking, I didn't even see all of that. Man, I saw God moving. That's what I saw. I saw the goodness of God come down. I saw God bless and, and, and the rain start to come. And, and, and I, believe, I just saw God. And as we look at this, we see how hard that Ahab truly was after a great victory that God had wrought on Mount Carmel. Not only the instigator, but I want you to see the inflictor there. As we look at Elijah's persecution, it was Jezebel. Uh, her instant message to Elijah. Uh, see, and you thought the computer age came up with instant messages. Uh, no, it was way back in the Bible right there. Uh, it says, and she sent a messenger immediately to Elijah. And so, uh, so hey, there was an instant message even back then. Uh, and she got that message across to Elijah that, hey, uh, I'm going to kill you. And I want you to notice some people think, well, it was an idle threat, but I don't really think it was idle. I mean, she put a time frame on it. Hey, if I don't, if, if you're not dead by tomorrow at this time, 
then I'm going to let all the gods do to me. Uh, I'm going to let all the gods take my life. I mean, she was serious about her threat. Uh, she wanted to persecute Elijah, and she was looking forward to it. And, and look at the, um, not just that, but the incentive. Uh, I mean, really, you think, why, what good would it do to get rid of Israel? Really, what benefit in all of Israel? I mean, in all reality, it's raining out. That's from God. That's from Elijah. That's from God working and cleaning out the wickedness that was taking place in Israel. And, and so the rain is coming. What advantage is there from their perspective to wipe out the man of God? Really none. I mean, there has been great benefit, but a lot of people, because of their own wickedness, and they have to blame something, and they have to blame someone, and so they, they turn their, uh, their, their guise upon uh, Elijah to, to throw all of their blame on him. And understand this, that the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Hey, listen, sometimes, even today, in the workplace, people turn their eyes on you. Well, he gets Sundays off, and he's not here, or this guy's a Christian, and, and they just have this burr in their saddle, and they're against you because you are a Christian, and you are living godly, and they will turn uh, on you, even though maybe your presence at that company is even blessing that company. I mean, that happens. God does that. And, and we find that uh, they, even though God's blessing is there in Israel because of Elijah, uh, they, they are just so distraught by, by Elijah's presence that they want him gone. We see the persecution of Elijah there in verses 1 and 2. Look with me in verse number 3 and 4. We find the pessimism of Elijah. Look with me in verse number 3. The Bible says, And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father. Now, to be honest with you, we read this account and, and we're quite surprised at Elijah, to be honest with you. I mean, from, from the day Elijah walks on the scene in, in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Kings chapter number 17, all the way up till now, Elijah has been nothing but bold and brazen and outspoken and the prophet of God that says, hey man, I am here and we're going to follow God and we are going to do right. I mean, Elijah is very uh, just fearless in all reality. And then we have this, this pessimism and this point where uh, Elijah hits this, uh, this area of his life where really he becomes discouraged. And he becomes down. And you say, well, what is, what is that? And, and what's the cause of that? Well, really the cause of that is a few things, but I think one of the things that I think lends itself to that really is physical fatigue. I mean, Elijah had spent all day up on Mount Carmel. 
it is very likely probable that Elijah did not eat anything and probably that he fasted all day. You'll remember that the prophets of Baal, uh, from, from the beginning of the morning until noonday and even afterward, because it was not till the evening sacrifice that Elijah got up there and offered a sacrifice. So really, from the morning all the way until that evening, the prophets of Baal were praying to their gods and trying to call down fire, of which did not happen. And, and Elijah was there spectating and watching the whole thing. And he kind of had to be in one hand because uh, the prophets of Baal were known for sneaking fire under, under sacrifices and lighting fire. And so I think Elijah was there and he was moderating and taking care of everything. And, and, and he probably didn't eat all day long. And you'll remember that after everything took place that Elijah told Ahab, hey, go get yourself something to eat. But what did Elijah do? He went further up into the mountain and he fell on his face before God and he prayed. It's likely he didn't eat when he was there in that mountain. And then we find after all of those events take place that, uh, that uh, Elijah, the, the cloud starts to appear and starts to form and Elijah goes down and he tells Ahab, hey, you better get in your chariot and you better go to Jezreel because once it starts to rain, hey, your chariot tires, man, they're going to get stuck in the mud. You're not going to make it and it's going to rain. And so he sent uh, Ahab. Well, Ahab didn't even bother to give uh, Elijah a ride. So Elijah, the Bible says, and we looked at this uh, last week, he ran before Ahab and, arose, and arrived at Jezreel before him. And that was some 20 miles that he, uh, he ran. And, uh, and boy, that's a spectacular feat. It was miraculous. It was God enabling Elijah to arrive there. And God bringing Elijah before King Ahab to that place. Uh, but, but still, even with God's enablement, hey, all of that takes a toll on the body. And all of that wears him out. And we find that Elijah, at the end of this day, it's been a tremendously long day with a 20-mile run afterwards, He's tired. He is physically wore out. And we find that physical fatigue would lend itself towards discouragement and pessimism. Uh, we, we have this term that we heard probably several years ago. It's not new anymore, uh, but we would call it hangry. Um, and that's when, when, man, when you get hungry, um, you tend to get angry. And so we merged those two words, somebody did, along the lines, and, and, and they created this term hangry. And so uh, there, there ought to be another term, and I don't know how you would do it, but tired and angry too, because that kind of goes, uh, or tired and irritable. So uh, maybe it'd be irritable. I don't know. But, uh, uh, but, but that really, they go hand in hand. And, and you know, when, when we have physical needs, hey, it affects our outlook on life. It does. And Elijah was no doubt physically fatigued and therefore uh, started to look at things from a different and a very skewed perspective than what he should have looked at things. So we find some of that cause would be physical. Some of it would be emotional. Well, have you ever had a great day and boy, you're just, after that great day, I mean, it was exhilarating, but man, you're just exhausted. Maybe it wasn't even physical, you didn't even do a lot, but, but just emotionally, you're like, man, I'm drained, I'm tired. And, uh, and so Elijah had a, a very emotional day, and, uh, and certainly he was drained after that. I want you to notice his focus as well. Look at verse number three, and when he saw that, what is that? 
That was the threat that, that Jezebel sent. When he saw that, he arose and went for his life. You know, his focus had gotten turned away from God. And he started to focus on the problems that were around him. Listen, it's easy to do. I'm not throwing Elijah under the bus. We've all been there. We've all uh, focused on the negative and on the problems. And instead of on God, uh, Peter is often an illustration of this. And walking on the water, when, uh, when Jesus came walking on the water towards Peter, and, and, and Peter says, hey, can I go out and walk on the water? And Jesus says, yeah, come. And, and Peter, of course, steps out and walks on that water. And, and the Bible is very clear, and it says, but when he saw the the wind and the seas, that they were boisterous, he became afraid. Hey, the same thing's true when, when, King, when Elijah got his eyes and his focus off of God and focused on this instant message that popped up. Uh, I'm sure he didn't have a phone, so I'm sure it was paper message uh, or, or maybe a verbal message that was given to him. But nonetheless, when he heard that and when he saw it, hey, he, he got fearful. And listen, we've got to be so careful that we keep our eyes focused on God at all times. Not only that, but I want you to notice in verse number four, at the very end of it, he says, For I am not better than my father's. You know, pride. Boy, I don't know if Elijah really thought maybe that he was better than his father's or thought that he was better than anyone else, but it, it does have a little bit of a ring there that, that maybe pride was a problem. And, and it comes off, hey, listen, when, when you think more of yourself than you are, you better be careful. Because pride goeth before a fall, the Bible says, a haughty spirit before a great fall. We need to be careful of that. All of those things can cause, can be a cause towards the pessimistic and negative view that Elijah had. But look at his, not just his, his, the cause of it, but look at the conduct. Look at what he does there in verse number, uh, verse number four. Verse number three. But when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. Let me just stop there and say his path was, man, I'm out of here. Now, some criticize Elijah for leaving uh, Jezreel without God's explicit direction. We have noted uh, throughout our study in the life of Elijah that every step, without fail, every step that Elijah has taken has always been, God said, go do this. God said, go to the brook Cherith. I've, I've, I'll, I'll have the ravens feed you. And when that brook dried up, Elijah very patiently waited by that brook Cherith. And God said, go to uh, Seraphath because I have a widow woman there that will sustain thee. And every step of the way, God has directed Elijah. Now, I would not throw Elijah under the bus for fleeing for his own life. I would not. But I think the extent that he went may have been a little bit far may have been somewhat exaggerated because of his skewed perspective, because he was looking at things through a very negative lens. And so I'm very careful, though, uh, though I don't think um, it was necessarily wrong for him to leave. Uh, certainly he could find cover and, and then pray about it. But I think the extent that he went was a little bit far. The Bible says that he went uh, to, to um, well, verse number four there, or three, uh, 
and, and he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and he left his servant there. And then the Bible says he went on another day's journey. And so he went a one ways, dropped his servant off, and said, man, I'm on my own, and he left. And his path certainly was extensive that he had traveled to get away. I think it may have been a little bit too far. Not only that, but his perspective. He says, uh, I am not better than my father's as we look at that as we saw that as pride, but I think this too, you look at every account of Elijah's life, and certainly he was better than all the past prophets. I mean, Elijah was probably one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament as far as miracles go and as far as works that he did and, and things of that nature. And I, I think, hey, he, he, he was very pessimistic about himself even and said, well, I'm, I'm not any good and I'm not usable. But look at his prayer as well there in verse number four. At the end, he says, um, well, in the middle, he says, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. Boy, he was really down. I mean, he was like, I'm all done, Lord. I can't go any further. And understand this, that when you get a negative view, and, and, and maybe it's because you're physically tired, maybe because you're emotionally drained, maybe because you've gotten your eyes off the Lord, maybe because uh, of something else that, that took place in your life, whatever the reason, we need to be very careful because it, it tends to taint everything that we look at, including uh, Elijah's own value, self-value. He said, I'm, not, I'm worthless. I'm no good to you. I cannot be used any longer, and, and I'm all done, and, and why don't you just end my life and take me out of here? Boy, could you imagine if the story ended here? Where would Elisha be? Where would be the following prophet? And where would be the, uh, the, the double portion of Elijah's spirit that came on Elisha? And where would be the rest of the story if God granted him his prayer in a discouraging, discontented uh, moment of his life that he prayed and said, I'm all done, take me out. Uh, boy, there was still a lot of story to be written. There was still a lot of things to be done. And, uh, and we need to be very careful uh, about a pessimistic view. And Elijah certainly had a pessimistic view at this point. But I want you to notice not just the persecution, not the pessimistic view, but I want you to notice, and I love this, the preservation of Elijah. Look with me in verses 5 and 6, and this is the best part. Well, we'll read down through 8. The Bible says, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. 
I want you to notice uh, in the preservation of Elijah, this was a miraculous thing that God did for Elijah. And I want you to notice the miracle that took place here as we look at it, the supply of the food. Hey, this is not the first time that God has supplied the food for Elijah. And he certainly did take care of him. Listen, when you're following God and doing what God wants you to do, even when you may get down and discouraged, and even when things may not go well for you, and you think, man, I don't even know if things are, uh, if I'm in the right place. Understand this, that God is so faithful to take care of us. Boy, what a good God we serve. You look at Elijah's life, I mean, he is discouraged. He's down in the dumps. He's saying, I'm no good. You might as well kill me. Take me off. I'm all done. Uh, just, you know, write me out. I write the end over my life and take me away. And, and God says, oh, no, we're not done yet. Hey, I'm still going to use you. Hey, I still got something for your life. Hey, I, I'm still going to take care of you. And, and he sends an angel and he supplies the food. And, and what a blessing of God. Uh, you look at that in, in verse, uh, uh, verse number 6. And he looked and behold, there was a cake. I love the details in this. There was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. Who started the fire? Hey, it's not a gas stove, bless God, where you just click on, on the button. There was no electric stove. Somebody kindled that fire and took time to do that. Now, God could kindle a fire just like that. I mean, I, he did call down fire from heaven. So, uh, so God can do that. But I'm saying this, that God took the time to start the fire, to bake the cake, and even had a cruise of water setting there. It was all furnished table. I mean, it was all set up. Who did that? God did that. God took care of Elijah. In Elijah's weakest moment, God was there. What a blessing from God. Look at verse number eight. I love this. And the last part of that verse says, uh, And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Every health store from, from here to California has been looking for that recipe and trying to market that stuff. Eat this in 40 days, you'll be good to go. I mean, they really have. Boy, God supplied and took care of Elijah. In one of his weakest moments, I'm reminded of the verse Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hey, praise the Lord that he cares for his servants. I love this. It gets even better because not just the miracle, but look with me in verse number seven. We find the messenger and the angel of the Lord. Hey, in the Bible, you'll see the angels from time to time. Last week we talked about Lot and how angels were sent and pulled Lot out of, out of Sodom and Gomorrah. But when you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, that is talking about Christ in the Old Testament. It's Jesus Christ. Hey, it wasn't, God didn't just send a messenger, an angel, like he did for Lot. Just send an angel for Lot. Man, Sodom's a wicked place. Get Lot out of there. Send an angel to do that. But God himself came down. Hey, and he met the needs of Elijah. Man, what a, what a precious moment. 
you read through that, he didn't only just supply for his needs, but you read that, the Bible says two different times, he touched him. Wow. I mean, it's one thing, there's songs been written, been sung about, he knows my name, and praise the Lord, he does know my name, and praise the Lord, he does uh, know the amount of hairs that you have on your head, but he came down and he touched Elijah. Wow, what an incredible passage. That God would take the tender care of Elijah, he would feed him. But I love this, not just the miracle, not just the messenger, but the mercy, the mercy that he showed to Elijah. You know what he said? Elijah said, take my life. And God said, nope, not doing that. Not answering that prayer. Amen. Elijah was a very passionate praying man. But God said, no, we're not doing that. I'm granting you mercy. You're going to continue to live because, man, I've got a lot to do with you still. There's still a lot to be written. There's still a lot to be done. We see God's mercy, not only in, in the fact that God did not answer his prayer when Elijah prayed it, but the fact that two times the Bible says that he arose and he ate, and he went back to sleep. And then the second time, he also arose and ate. I don't know if he fixed him two meals or he said, hey, you clean your plate, finish everything up. You make sure you don't leave a drop because we're about to go a long distance. But, but whatever the, 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 the situation was, Two times, God said, hey, I'm here. Two times, God touched Elijah, and he took care of his prophet. Boy, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful God we serve. We see the persecution. Oh, persecution is bad. Yes, it can be frustrating. It can, it can cause you to be frustrated. It can cause you discouragement. It can cause you stress in your life. And you might think, boy, I, I, don't know, uh, I don't know what all the problem is. It can cause you to become pessimistic in your life. But I tell you what, you look to God. You look at the greatness of God, the mercy of God, the miracles of God, the, uh, the, the, just the messenger that God sends. And, and oh, how good. God truly is to us. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm thankful that God is so good to us. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for God just the, what, a, what an incredible passage that shows your tender care, your mercy, your compassion, your love, for Elijah, the man of God. God, I pray that you would just bless, encourage, and strengthen each and every believer that's here this morning. God, if there's one here that does not know you, I pray, Father, that they would put their faith and trust in you, God, that they would desire to have that care and that compassion that you offer. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. Father, we'll thank you for that. God, will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you just want to kneel there in your pew and thank God for his goodness, for his tender compassion, for his mercy, for how he's cared for you and taken care of you. Whatever the need.